This is Eski from the Western team. It'll be my first time interviewing someone from on the Western podcast, so this is a bit exciting for me. And no pressure on me, but the guest we have for today is um, an influential leader in the community of filmmaking, especially in Western Sydney. Um, and he goes by the name of Von. Yeah. Von. How do you pronounce your last name? Patiag. Paddy Ag, how are you, Vaughn? I'm good. Now I feel like there's a lot of pressure on me because <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> no, it, no, it'll be easy. We'll just be talking. Um, and really, actually, there might be a bit of pressure on you because I'll be asking all the questions and you'll be doing all the answering. It's my favorite activity. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, a lot of our listeners, um, they come from the West and... I think it's great when someone of your caliber, and when, when I say that, I mean the work that you've done has been, you know, not just confined within Western Sydney, but has been broadcast throughout Australia. Um, and you've still had that element of Western Sydney in your works, which I think is awesome. And I think it's great for other Western Sydney creatives to um, know that it's happening, first of all. Mm-hmm. And secondly, how to keep that Western Sydney or how to keep, how to use from where they've grown up into putting it into their projects, which is something that you've done, which is something that you're doing. For, for context, how did you start? How did I start? Um, I went to film school, so... I went to well, I went to high school, a selective high school. I went to Girwin, and I think my first foray into actual storytelling was like four unit English. So that's probably showing my age. I don't know if that is still around. I but, think I'm pretty sure it's still yeah, around. <laughs> but I really wanted to do a film because I just really liked. I've always liked film, and I was discouraged from doing that. And you know, as a little medium, the teachers kind of let me do screenwriting. So I wrote like a thirty minute film, and I actually like topped. I ended up topping the state or something in, you know, in screenwriting. Oh, wow. Like, which was crazy because I'd never really done it before. And then I literally followed my best friend to film school. So I was like applying for unis and I didn't know what to do. And I was like applying for art, then like medicine at UNSW and all this other stuff. Yeah. I had really no idea. But um, yeah, my friend was like, oh, there's this course at UTS, Media Arts Production, that I'm really interested in. I want to do that. And I literally was at his house putting preferences in. And I was like, you know what, I'll just do the same thing. And <laughs> yeah, that's how I kind of got started. And then three years later, like I graduated, he left. Um, he, he never finished. And I just have been a filmmaker ever since. Wow. It really is true. Like the people that you surround yourself dictate the choices you make. And yes. it's so true in that instance. Yeah, I really like, I mean, I was a rebellious teenager when I hit 11, 12. So I was like listening to my chemical romance. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's yes. the that's the like the fringe of like my rebellion pretty much but <laughs> you know it was like it was a really smart school and I was always hanging around with like you know all my friends were Asian all this stuff and mm. you know I literally remember like picking up commerce because um one of my friends was like oh these are life skills you need and then I remember being bored shitless like mm. doing that course so uh it was good to like it was cool to like be a misfit in high school mm. and rebel 
Mm. And then, and then, yeah, I literally chose like I, I'm one of the only people in my grade who actually chose what they wanted to do. You know, like I was like, I want to do films, so I'll just do this. And everyone was like, What are you doing? Yeah, I was like, I don't know. And ended up going to film school and absolutely loving it. Yeah, and just picked up like, you know, started writing and producing and directing short films, and then sort of fell into creative agency work. Yeah, where which I'd really recommend um, because it makes you do so many facets of filmmaking like really quickly break it down what is what is this creative so creative creative agencies so it's like um you know agencies that work in media or like digital space so i used to work for an agency which was the first digital agency at the time Mm -hmm. again that's really showing my age oh my god (laughs) every agency now is like online but yeah we were one of the first agencies who were kind of specializing in online content and you know, we would get campaigns in or like have to do like a five minute online video and you literally have to like copyright, produce that, direct it, shoot it yourself, edit yeah. it yourself. So then like having to do everything by yourself kind of just trained you to do everything, to do everything. And yeah. I think the one thing like obviously you can do that as a filmmaker by yourself. But I think the one thing that is different about creative agency work is that there's a client. So mm. they actually give you feedback. So, mm. you know, and I think like it was good to be training, making all this content that I had no real personal attachment to. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like it was like, oh, this is like, I don't know if I can mention brands, but like, Go ahead. yeah, like this video is Red Bull. Sure. Cool. Like I'll just make it. I know what they want. I can make it how they want it. And then yeah. like, you know, so it was cool to just go through that for a few years as well. Yeah. So I did that for about five years. I think it's great, especially in um, filmmaking that you've, you've got into all the different roles. Um, I speak to a lot of people who want to get into filmmaking and usually they're choosing one role. They're like, I just want to be director or Mm -hmm. I just want to focus on visuals, the cinematography. Mm -hmm. And I think that comes from when they watch a film and they see the credits, they see that one person was assigned one job. Yes. Until you actually get into the filmmaking industry, you realize that you're supposed to be doing all of it, or at least get your head around a majority of the roles. Yeah, I think as a director, which is like, I th- well, you can argue that director is it's kind of the hardest role to do because mm. also like you're you're the most opportunity starved. Like you will you will get you will not get many chances to direct, but obviously you can write a script yourself. You can produce for other people. I see. You know, so like, so you can argue that director as the like that's kind of my preferred job. Yep. And, and I always tell myself, I'm, I always tell other people I'm a film director, but then, yeah, I do write, produce, edit. Yeah. I can shoot. I kind of have weaned off shooting now because I like collaboration, but I think there is this culture, especially in Australia. I don't know. I don't know if it's an Australian thing, but like it definitely is this tall poppy syndrome where like mm. people will be like, you can't do everything. So just do one thing well. And I think it really sucks. Cause as a director, like, the best thing you can do is actually know everyone else's job mm. and not that you do everyone else's job, but like if you have an understanding of what everyone else has to do, you can manage them and help them and direct them and actually be a team, Yeah, you know? And like, I think there is a massive misconception between like how we educate, you know, like the film schools and like creative art schools, like, and, just the creative industry like there's this really big distance between 
the actual training and then the experience of actually making. Really? If that makes sense. Have you ever said this to anybody in the field? I say this <laughs> all the time. And I actually feel like everyone, a lot of people in the industry actually think that. Like, you know, there are some producers and filmmakers out there who never went to film school. Right. You know, and then like what I learned very quickly is that every project is different. Right. So like there's no point in really replicating, you know, your crew structure or like how you make something or your production process because your your actual content and the actual film you're making will tell you how to make it. Yeah. If that makes sense. It makes complete sense. It's um I'm I'm glad I'm actually really glad you're saying all this stuff because um, yes, I'm interviewing you for the Western, <laughs> yeah. but I'm also writing my own stuff. And I'm just going to ask you questions personally no, of like <laughs> how you how you get things done. Um, yeah. At the very beginning of the interview, I wanted to go back to this before we get into the project that you're working on now. Yeah. What was the first um, script that you wrote in high school that you were talking about oh. that topped? Because I'm, I'm curious to know yeah, what yeah. that story was about. So it was called The Projectionist, okay. which is still a story that is circling in my head, but... Um, it is weirdly, I don't know how a 17 year old comes up with this, honestly, but it's about a small town, like a rural town in Australia where the projection, like they have one cinema and the projection is transitioning from film to digital. Uh -huh. So it's kind of about this projectionist, like an older male who has to pretty much reassess his life because he's becoming obsolete. And I don't know. Maybe oh my, you wrote this at yes, 17? Yes. <laughs> but then like he encounters like, I would want to like a few characters from the town who I would argue are tropes of cinema. Uh -huh. And it's kind of like, uh -huh. A love letter yet a goodbye letter to cinema, cinema as was it's weird that i was 17 and kind of picked up on this fact that like digital cinema was coming in and it would kind of like transition and change the way we tell stories it, well, it's it also was... weird because you're writing about a something that maybe older people go through at 17. Yeah. <laughs> what was what was strange is that like at the time i worked for a cinema um reading cinemas and I'd been handpicked to join um, a, a team that started Rouse Hill, mm. like Rouse Hill Red yes, Cinemas, yeah, yeah, yeah. which was actually the first digital cinema in Australia. Oh, really? There you go. So there was like a team of like nine people who were chosen from across Reading to join this team, a startup team. And it was really strange because like I, I think like maybe because I'd worked at the cinema, I'd kind of been around conversations right. around like, what do we do? And, you know, there's a lot of older projectionists who are just right. like, I'm screwed kind of thing. Right. And being told they're obsolete, you know, and like being told like, oh, you have two, three years left before digital comes in. So it was, um, it was a wild script to, yeah. and then when I read it back, I'm just like, wow, I was a very precocious 17 year old. You were very, um, I think a very empathetic 17 year old. You, you listen to the stories around you at work and you've put yeah. it onto a script. Did you ever, did you ever show the um, projectionist at Reading Cinemas, your no, script. <laughs> but I've always like, every time someone's like, oh, what do you want to work on next? Or like, what's, you know, like, do you have any ideas? I always bring it up. Yeah. It's just this one thing where I'm just like, I think, I think in a weird way, I wouldn't make it now, but I think 
maybe in 10 or 20 years, it's a story that I'd probably want to revisit properly because yeah. it's like, I think it's a story that gets better with nostalgia and time, Yeah, you know, because it kind of captures, it's kind of like a time capsule for a moment of change. Yeah. And I don't think yet we have realized how much has changed because of the digital world. Mm. Like we're living in it now. Do you know what I mean? So like, and I think like a lot of people are jumping at the opportunities, but I think it'll take another five, 10 years for us to actually be like, yeah. Okay. So actually what is happening and how, how have things actually changed? Changed, Yeah. Yeah. No one steal um, that idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. You just oh, put that out. <laughs> yeah. I just can't believe I put that To all our out. listeners. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's copyrighted by Vaughn. Yeah. Yeah. Please. I mean, if you <laughs> hit me up, if you want to work on it together. 100%. Like, <laughs> I'm a, look, I mean, that's what this podcast is about. You know, if you're listening and you want to get involved with some of the creatives, it's as simple as hitting them up on Instagram, which exactly. I'm sure you'll give a, we'll give a little shout out at the end. Yes, please. To Vaughn's Instagram. Um, okay. And then we were going into some projects that you've been working on now or projects that you have worked on. Yes. Um, Okay, so just some context. I've seen Vaughn's work at the Blacktown Film Festival mm -hmm. that you curated. Yeah. So you're not just a filmmaker, but you're also an events organizer and you do so much for the scene. And I think that's why I put you at such high regard because, you know, you're not just doing these things for yourself. You're doing it for the betterment of the scene, which also benefits us as well. Yeah, I mean, I call it producing. Like, I, I find that part of, like, you know, creating platforms and creating the business like creating the structure and the yeah. infrastructure for filmmaking. I, I just see that as producing. Like, I think, well, we're really jumping questions here, but like, I really think that Australia needs more producers. Mm. You know, like we have a lot of artists, which are great. Uh, we have so much talent here, but we need more producers to actually, you know, link the industry to the artists and create, like literally create through business opportunities, create the, create the events, create the screening nights. Like, create the opportunities to film. Um, and I'm not saying that that has to be like specialized, you know, anyone can produce. I just think we need more. Yeah. We need more people interested in that business side. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. And that, and I think that extends to the music industry as well in totally. the area as well. Yeah. Um, what are some, some of the projects that you've worked on in the past? Cause I've just recently watched Halal Girls. Yes. Which is great. That's on ABC. Uh, ABC iView. Yeah, so you can yes, watch that you can at watch home that right now. Yeah. Um, any international listeners? It's also on YouTube. Oh, well, there you go. Um, on the ABC Comedy Channel. Um, yeah, that was a fun show. So that was six by six ten minutes, and yeah, yeah. I've got a couple questions about that one. Oh, please, yeah. So, um, and I've seen your short film. Um, remind me the the Tom name. Girl. Tom Girl. Yes. And so I'm Filipino too. Um just that it really resonated with me because of the a lot of the elements that you have in that short film is like very Filipino yeah and and I, I totally get it and I understand it um and then I watched Halal Girls and I was like oh okay this is about um Muslim women yeah hijabis hijabis yeah and and then I thought, and then in the credits, it says written by Vaughn. And I was like, I wonder how he got into that, <laughs> you know, that, that, that sort of culture. But yeah. did you, did you co-write it with somebody else? I wrote, or? so I, yeah, I co-wrote the whole show with a team of Muslim female writers. Mm -hmm. So there was, I think at one point there were seven of us. And I think, um, in the actual writer's room, 
but we did multiple writers rooms. So sort wow. of some people were involved in like both, some people were involved in one. Um, so yeah, between the whole team, there were seven of us and I did, Halagos came up in the most crazy way because, um, one of my best friends, he runs or he owns uh, hijab house, which is one of like the most, it's like the leading modest fashion brand in the world or like one of the leading ones. And, um, they're based in Bankstown and Greenacre. So, okay. you know, we went to high school together and we grew up together. So, um, I've always been around his family and he was setting up this store and I remembered like literally helping him build shelves um, because I'm a good friend. And also I'm sorry if those shelves collapse because I'm probably really <laughs> like, I'm really bad at manual labor, but, but you're a good friend. Yeah. But I'm a good friend. I was there. <laughs> and, um, and all these hijabi, like all the, all the workers would, you know, from, from Sydney and Melbourne were flown into this store to like train uh -huh. in customer service uh -huh. and like, you know, trainers shop girls in, in hijab house so then i would find myself on these breaks with like 20 hijabis like uh -huh. we're all sharing pizza and they're like they're just crazy like you know they're smoking and like on snapchat like dming guys kind of thing and um it was really i was really special because like it got to a point where they actually turned to me and i could i was kind of like scared and being like oh i'm just gonna keep my head down and like not invade their space and they would literally have conversations where they would kind of stop and look at me and they'd be like, and I remember this day vividly. It was like on my third day, I think. They were like, oh, no, he's cool. No, we like, he's fine. We can talk like plainly in front of him. And like, it wasn't, I don't know, for me, it was like, if you actually sit and listen and earn the trust of this community, of a community, then like you can be invited to see, you know, the store, the real stories that kind of can, that can emerge mm. just by being like empathetic and inclusive. So you know, I was able to see a side of hijabis and Muslim culture and Muslim female culture that, like, you don't usually see. So, um, yeah, and then marry that to the idea of, like, I was going through this producing course maybe three years ago and a producing tutor just was like, you know what, here's a little exercise. Everyone comes in next week and pitches a whole new idea. Like, it can't have been something you thought of. And I remember being, I remember driving to the class being, like, shit i did not do my homework mm -hmm. and on the drive in like just being like oh well what's uh i'll just like do a, a sitcom comedy show about hijabis that's kind of funny and like show that they're like badass women mm -hmm. and not like the victimized um you know the victimized characters that you always see mm -hmm. on network tv and literally i was texted my friend and i was like yo what do you think about this show um i think it'd be really funny and i, w I wanted to call it yellow girls at the time and he just literally he i was like heading into the pitch and he wrote back being like call it halal girls it's hilarious and i literally just pitched it like you know it's like oh yeah it's about three hijabis living their best lives in bankstown like then they have all these crazy adventures and mm. stuff and the producer loved it everyone loved it and literally from then um he came up to me and was like this is gold like keep developing this because it was really good everything you said and yeah, that was like two, three years ago now. And I've just kept at it since. And, and when was it released? So then we ended up, I mean, we ended up pitching it to ABC in July last year. Okay. And no, sorry, the year before now, like 2018. And then filmed it in April last year. And it was released in October. Wow. Quick yeah. turnaround. I mean. No? Yes, but also like. It takes a 
while for these things. This, I mean, Halal Girls was particularly fast um, for the scale of it. Yeah. It definitely was like a lot faster than I thought it would be. And, you know, the writing process, a lot of the writers like hadn't written for screen before. So yeah. then there was a lot of like, I, I don't want to say I was training them, but there was a lot that the process had to change to sort of incorporate creators yeah. who maybe didn't have the right skills. Yeah. So we had to move a bit slower in that regard yeah. too, you know, like, so that's what I mean about the whole idea of like every project would just tell you how to make it because yeah, it, it was weird to put my name on so many of the episodes, but it solely was because we had to credit. Um, yes. hundred. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually did, um, you know, all, all the creative was made up by, all the writers like mm. I, I usually would come in at the end and kind of format the scripts um mm. for to be production ready so that's yeah. why a lot of them are co-written yeah but um wow wow yeah I, I, it's another um look i'm also weary of the listeners so because <laughs> because we're talking filmmaking language yeah. at this point and yes, we are and um, so I'm really trying to break it down for some of the people, but make it more fun. Make it more fun, but but you know I'm a I pride myself on being an artist and a filmmaker as well because I've helped produce other films. So like I said, I'll be asking questions personally. Oh, please do. I, I think it's interesting that um, you've written, you've co-wrote Halal Girls based on your experiences of working, um, you know, helping your friend set up shop, and then you're back to your first script is about a projectionist. That's that's something that you were you were working with, you know, people there. Your stories don't really reflect you in a way, but it's reflective of other people. Or am I getting that wrong? Yeah. You know, it's, does it take an element of a filmmaker to, to you know, um, get the context of what's happening around you and turn yeah. it into a story? Or I think for me, like, I've always had a very personal connection to every project. Mm. Like, um... I think especially in writing, you can figure out your personal connection and you usually do take that into production when you make the film. So every film I've made has felt personal, very mm. personal, even though it doesn't look like it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did a film called Window, which it, that was back in 2016 and that was um, commissioned by Olympus Cameras and St. Kilda Film Festival. It was like my first bigger film that had like a micro budget, but it was the first film that had, I'd received money for to make. Yeah. That wasn't just me like paying out of my savings and that one like i was living in melbourne at the time and that we shot in minchinbury like they really wanted a film that was set in western sydney because they were like you know it's such a oh my god this is such a 2016 phrase but like it's a diversity paradise right. like every, everything's <laughs> happening in blacktown like we'd love it if you shot it there so it was weird because i moved to melbourne to uh go to vca so i went i attended vca what's for, vca victorian college of arts okay so i did an uh, an acting course there for a year and but it was so strange because i moved down to melbourne and then melbourne like st kilda which is in melbourne had been like hey can you make your film in your, home, in your hometown so you have to come back so i had to like fly back <laughs> repeatedly and make this film but like that for me was um that for me felt like the most personal film I've ever done. And that film is definitely a turning point in like understanding my relationships to my films. Wow. If that makes sense. Can we watch this? Is this anywhere? Yes. Online? I'm actually, I'll release it. I'm releasing it online. It's actually, it's done. It's played all these festivals and hasn't found an online home yet, but it will be okay. up soon. Wow. But, um, but yeah. And that definitely paved the way for Tom girl 
to become, yes. I guess, like, for Tom Girl to be a personal film, but I think, like, I'd still had the experience of making a super personal film. Like, I was literally, I was in Window as well, and I was, like, naked on screen. Like, it was mm. about, um, you know, it was about sexuality and male intimacy and, like, all these things about all these, like, pressing topics of suburbia, like, this idea of, uh, like, owning a story, owning your own story when you're living in suburbia, where, like, the mundanity kind of, you think, can kill you or, mm. or like, prop you up, you know? Like, yeah. So, yeah, so Tom, when, by the time we got to Tom Girl, I remember... Um, and what, what year did you do Window, and what year did you do Tom Girl? Window, see this Window was 2016, yep. and then Tom Girl... We started developing in 2017 just, and yeah, okay. we shot at end of 2017. So it came okay. out in 2018. So yeah. Um, but with Tom Girl, like I was approached by my producer who we'd kind of like decided to actually legitimize and um, create a production company after we did Window. And she just was like, do you know, do you have any ideas for this, um, this, you know, LGBT initiative that Create New South Wales is doing with SBS? And I remember being like, yeah, look, I'll see. Like, I don't really have any short film ideas. And I remember being on a flight from Sydney to Melbourne. And um, I just was like, what do I want to say? And I remember thinking, like, what is the, you know, like, what is something that I will feel passionate about? Because I was really tired of, like, trying to make films. I tried to get a few films up and I just was not connecting with anything, you know. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I just want to do a film that speaks to me and, like, feels personal but isn't, like, mining my own trauma. You know, mm -hmm. like, I'm so tired of that. And then I remember literally having the thought being like, well, why did I move back to Western Sydney from Melbourne? Like, I love Melbourne. Why did I leave? And I was like, well, I wanted to be near my parents again because I just finished up this big trip and I hadn't actually lived at home for a few years. So I was like, and, you know, they're getting older, so I don't want to jinx anything. But, you know, I was like, I yeah. want to spend time with them yeah. now. And um, I literally had this thought where I was like, oh, yeah, but my parents are so Filipino. Fucking hate being Filipino. What does it mean to be so Filipino? It just was like, like my parents are Filipino. You know? <laughs> like they're just culturally Filipino. Like my mom cooks fish all the time, and like you know, yeah, like goes to church. And I just, that's, I just remember having that thought, being like, "Fuck, I hate being Filipino. It's so, so lame." Yeah. And then something just like aligned in my body when I said that. And I literally got this massive spark being like, fuck, I think my next film's going to be Filipino. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, and then I flew back to Sydney and literally met up with my producer and I was like, you know, she was like, so do you have any ideas about LGBT stuff? And I was like, yes, I want to make a Filipino film. Um, that is, you know, I want to explore the LGBT side of Filipino yes. culture. Which is huge. Which is massive. Massive. And then a lot of that was like also looking at, um, you know, my memories. Like I have a cousin who's Bakla, who's like who cross-dresses. Bakla means gay for some of the... Yeah, so it's yeah. like, you, and it's usually like it involves men who cross-dresses women, like perform in a performative sense. So right. like I remember being eight years old. It's the only time I've been to Philippines. And one of my cousins actually would dress up as a female. And um, I remember being entranced by that, being like, oh my God, like, wow, it's incredible <laughs> like yeah. he really doesn't give a shit yeah you know and um and he shouldn't and no one no one was judging him for it and i remember like being a kid um coming back to coming back to australia like from that trip and it was really weird but like i went to this catholic primary school where all these kids you know it was like a very like everyone's mixing but these white kids had learned what bakla meant 
and you know when you're like eight or nine and like you're you're calling each other gay like as a yeah, slur yeah, like, oh my yeah. god you're gay it's funny like haha so all these teachers have been like you cannot say that word anymore mm. so these white kids would go around calling everyone buckler mm. which is which is like so weird but also like that's that's melting pot australia there right so that memory also came up and that literally is the opening scene of tom girl yes like these white kids calling this oh, philip kid buckler and he's like what is that i don't know wow <laughs> well so that's where that scene comes from that is where the scene comes from i mean there, there are so many scenes in even in halal girl halal girls yeah where i'm like that came from somewhere i know that came from somewhere where where vaughn was probably hanging out and he he heard something like like okay for those who are gonna watch a you know i don't want to spoil anything but it's not really a spoiler there's a scene in i think it's episode two where the main character's sister says, oh, you have fasting breath. Yes. Now that, when I heard that in the episode, I went, that is, that is so true. Because I, I have a couple of um, Muslim friends and they say that. Yeah. They, they, they say that. And yeah. I'm like, and then, and then it got me thinking, like, you know that this was written by people within that culture. Yeah. You know, 100%. Like people who have lived that. Yeah. And brought their own thing. Like, And I love that. I love that so much. And it just added such a an element to the story you know <laughs> yeah. yes i mean how we treated all the themes of halal girls was all, was all filtered through the creatives you know like i mean i'll speak about this but like in ep2 as well there was a scene with fufu and her husband um mm -hmm. like where they have this fight and that scene went through like five different iterations there was a version that i wrote there was a version that abc really wanted you wow. know and they gave notes on and they really wanted like I mean, we've made it now, so, like, I guess we can talk about it. But, like, they, we were kind of talking about a version which was, like, Fufu in bed. Like, and, you know, like, we had this joke or we wanted to explore this fact that, like, you can't have sex during Ramadan. So then, like, Fufu would, like, you know, try and have her, like, be with her husband quickly before the, the Ramadan yeah. sort of starts for the day. And um, ABC loved it. You know, I thought it was interesting. I was like, yeah, cool. This is an idea that is like saucy and like, you know, would get eyeballs. The room hated it. All the writers. They just were like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to see that. I don't want to write that. That's not like, yes, that happens. But why do we want to portray Muslim women like this? So it was me being like, you know, hearing from one side being like, that's such a good idea. And then actually going to the women and like listening to the community. And they just would be like, no, that shouldn't be like that. And it would be a matter, it was such a process of me going like, okay, cool. I'm hearing you and I'm listening. What is a solution we can come up together that can feel like salacious and spicy, but not offend the actual community? And the, I would say like that is pretty much the whole project. Wow. What's just me and um, my co-producer Petra. Wow. Just like going between <laughs> these two, like, like a rock and a hard place, just being like, Okay, cool. We're listening to you. We're listening to you. How do we make everyone happy? So that's the show uh, that they got. <laughs> that is so interesting because, you know, I haven't had that opportunity yet to work with big time producers like ABC. Yeah. Um, and that is such a great example of the industry coming together with 
the community and you were literally yeah. in the middle of that that's why i say the producer's job is to unite like to create the pathway you know yeah. like so now it's great so now like all the writers who and, and this was something that we wanted to put into the project too like all the writers now have a really big credit to their name and like a few of them have continued and are awesome are exploring screenwriting and awesome. you know like have used like the clout of the show to get to the next step. And that's exactly, and they should, that's exactly what I wanted as well. Like, um, I, I remember with Halagos specifically, and I do this on all my projects, but Halagos was the first one. I really mandated this. I have this thing where I always ask every creative what they want, you know? And I'm like, what do you want out of this show? Why are you here? Like, what do you want to get out of this? And I really listen to them. And, you know, sometimes people are like, Oh, I just want to get paid. And I'm like, you know what? I will get you that. You will get paid for this. But then some others are like, I really want a credit on a broadcast, on a broadcast, con you know, broadcast content. And I'm like, I will get you that too. You know, and it's about like, I really like having that conversation upfront because then you can sort of manage people's expectations very early on and, and be like, you know, okay, I can't get you 100,000 Instagram followers out of this, but like, you know, let's... Um, this show will be online so like let's see how we can capitalize your to, to add to your social media followers yeah you know so like i think that's just kind of like i don't know my that's kind of like the producing sort of pathways that i like to do just like you know listen <laughs> listeners these are lessons that you you would not hear in film school i yes 100 percent exactly what what you just said there it because I have a lot of filmmaker friends. And what you just said there, I know that they'd be like, 100%. Yeah. Like, you just framed it really well. You and and you don't learn that in film school. There's no textbook that says. No. You know what I mean? And see, I did the same thing with ABC. Like, I didn't just do that on the cultural side or the community side. I did that with everyone. You know, like, I would speak to ABC execs being like, what show do you want? Or like, what did you see? Why did you commission us? Like in our pitch, what did you like? Yeah. You know, and then he really hearing what they think, what they want as well. And I'm like, okay, I'll deliver that deliver to you that, as well. Yeah. And I think like, I'm not saying that you have to listen to everyone, but like, I think projects are so much more powerful when people feel like they're getting something. Yes. Out of and, it. And, and once you understand what they want, it's easier for you to manage. And yes. really at the end of the day, that's what you're trying to do. And you're trying to get this job done. Yes. Um, I liked your particular lesson there because in the context of western sydney it's very young when it comes to filmmaking yes which is why it's so important to ask you know budding filmmakers what do you want out of this yeah you know because I, I, I guess it's developed out there in the east or you know in the city and, and people who who are in a film know what they're doing it for here in the west we still have this idea of like i've seen these massive marvel movies or I've heard of Hollywood. I really want to get into it, but how? Or yeah. And what does that mean? And I think when you ask that question of what do you want out of this? Yeah. It, it's like, you know, it gives them that broader perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I, I spin it now, like, you know, now that I've gone through that, I just say it boils down to why. That's mm. the question that a lot of people don't think about. You know, like we have the how, like pick up a camera, go to film school, learn how to do something. We have the what, you know, it's a film. Um, but we just don't, I think a lot of people forget the why, mm. you know, like, and I think it's okay if you want to be, if you want to say like, oh, I want to direct an action film and like freaking direct the next Marvel film. Like that's, I think that's totally valid. Yeah. But I think like 
you need to know that. And because once you have clarity about your decisions of why you're doing something, then things will just run smoother. hundred percent, hundred percent. So why do you? <laughs> oh, I walked into that. <laughs> Look, I, I, you know what? Maybe the answer for you has changed yeah. throughout, you know, since the very beginning to yeah. you only did it because your friend was doing yeah, it, you know? Exactly. And, and I think that's okay that if your why has changed, yeah. but at the end of the day, you should know why. Yes. Even if it's changed. Yeah. So what is your why? Like in general? Or? I don't know. What would you know? How, how would you answer that question? Um, my why is just like, I have always felt like a storyteller. Mm. So I work not only on screen, but I work across stage as well. Because I literally got to a point two, three years ago where I was so bored. Like film, you know, sometimes it operates in cycles and sometimes you're just developing a script for so long. I literally learned theater. Like I started writing for theater and I perform in theater because I like just wanted more training, but like wanted to use my time better. Yeah. So I think for me, like I have always had this really strong disposition for storytelling. And I think why it's because like, I, there is such power in like telling your story to empower other people who might not be able to tell theirs. Like uh-huh. a lot of people, yes. if you create an authentic story and I like, I know there's, I know these might sound like buzzwords, like authentic, authenticity, all that stuff. But like, you know, if you, f- if you can make a film that feels personal to you, then you actually allow other people to latch on who might not be empowered to tell their story. Mm. And I just think like if everyone, you know, can figure out their why, then there's always room in the industry for more people yeah to be making these stories yeah you your why of of telling stories that uh, for people that probably struggle to tell is so evident in the latest projects that you've worked on and i'm not necessarily like trying to take their like i'm not trying to take their voices from them no all i'm trying to do it all i'm trying to do is like actually like get the microphone and direct it to them so they can speak yeah. You know, like like with Halal Girls, like I remember having this convo with my producer, but like the reason why I really did that project is because for me, hijabi women are the most visual representation of marginalization in Australia. Mm. Regard like besides um I think uh, like POC from migrant from migrant backgrounds. Mm. Right? And then like there's just this constant victim narrative mm. that is always there. And for me it's like you know how that relates to me is like, well, you know, I'm Filipino and uh, and from Western Sydney. Um, so a lot of people would just like have assumptions made about me being like, oh, okay, wow. He's like from Western Sydney. Do you know what I yeah, mean? So yeah. like, so for me, the whole show was about usurping those expectations because like, I felt like I had to fight so much to do that. Yeah. My own right. And, you know, even like working with um, script editors and producers and, you know, broadcast networks who are, who maybe not, don't understand Western Sydney. Like it was even that process of like, they'd be like, oh, okay, but you're from Western Sydney. So you don't have experience, right? Yeah. And I'd be like, no, I've actually been doing this for a while. hundred percent. And it's like, and wow, I'm literally living the life of the Halal Girls characters, you know? So then like, that's kind of where the personal connection came for me. Yeah. For that project. I just, that's 
so many points you brought up there. Like, <laughs> just the, one that really struck up to me, just struck to me that was the um, a Muslim woman in a hijab is the is a personification of victim, right? Yeah, of, of POCs. Yeah. And then when I watch halal girls, strong females. Yeah. Such strong females to the point where I'm intimidated watching it. <laughs> and and it's and then you're thinking, hold on, these don't look like victims. Yeah. These are women who are taking control of their lives. And and then and then I also think a step further and I go, these are not victims. And what Halal Girls is showing me is exactly what I see. Because I went to uni yes. in um in in Bankstown. And you know there was heaps of um muslim women there and and none of them to me appeared like victims or they were weak or anything like that they're very strong women and yeah. and i liked how halal girls really portrayed that really well yeah and at the same time tell a really beautiful story i mean that's the that's literally the power of representation mm. like um you know i learned that through curating blacktown shorts last year to empower like these filmmakers like we chose five filmmakers to actually um make films and you know they all had to shoot it in blacktown and they had to have a really strong connection to blacktown and the one thing that i kept saying was like there is such power in representation um and i know that sounds cliche then that's definitely like we talk about diversity so much and you know like we need to diversify our cast and all that stuff but there is still something magical about seeing your hometown on screen you know mm -hmm. like it's in a weird way you feel legitimized by seeing yourself represented yeah and it's not necessarily like like a validation, but it's like uh, you can dare to dream. Yeah, is what I you say. You can dare to dream. You know? <laughs> exactly that. You can dare to dream. When I see a Filipino or an Asian person doing really well, it it does dare me to dream. Yeah, it hundred percent dares should. me to dream. It should. It and and they could be doing something in the field of whatever it is maybe they excel in science or whatever yeah. but that still dares me to dream yeah, yeah and yeah. that's why it's so important that again the buzzwords but very important that we diversify yeah. our cast that yeah um representation is happening especially on the screen yeah are you because there is a push there is a push to get more um people of color in film mm -hmm. in media mm -hmm. um at least in Blacktown Film Festival, that was all I was seeing, people of color on, yeah. on screen. Um, do you feel that the industry has changed in, in that aspect? And I'm, I'm talking about yeah. the industry. Yeah. You know, like... I, um, it's slow moving. Okay. It's, I feel like change is glacial. And I do think change at a point is affected on a personal level most of the time. I think institutionally, um, you know, like big companies or actual networks... Um, I, I don't, I don't put them at fault because I think like they also have a responsibility to themselves and, you know, the content they make, they've established certain brands. Like, um, so I think like, it's definitely good to celebrate the different, the small changes, you know, like, like I feel like neighbors and home and the way have gotten more diverse since I was a kid, you know, like, and I think like okay, that those shows aren't necessarily going to be the bastions of diversity, but I will celebrate the fact that they're trying. Yeah. Um, so I do think that change happens a lot at a personal level. And that's, I don't know, if, my own thinking is that like, that's kind of where we need to be finding more producers, more creatives to actually like be behind the camera for these things because like they're the ones making the choices. 
you know so like yeah we do have um we have a lot of talent we have a lot of like actors who are diverse and like um and i think we've made waves and actually like having more representation on screen but then we're starting to see issues of like exploitation or like um tokenism tokenism yeah you know and i think it's important to keep having these discussions um has the industry changed yes um my biggest worry is that a lot of change is usually cyclic okay so you can argue like the like the 90s was quite a diverse time as well in mm. terms of media representation mm -hmm. so i think um yeah i don't know i i don't want to say we've hit a tipping point but I definitely think, I mean, circling back to the idea of digital, I think the onset of more platforms and like, you know, the digital revolution has allowed more people to tell their stories. Yeah. So yeah, I don't want to say that the actual industry has changed, but more people are like pushing through yeah. um, them, themselves. Yeah. If that makes sense. It makes complete sense. Um, we were, <laughs> it just reminds me of a, I'm going to plug my own stuff now. Please do. We, I was working on a, a pitch and we did a short little pilot and it was a musical based in Mount Druitt, mm -hmm. right? And we, we casted the people and we casted them based on, first of all, if you're available on that day, if you can dance mm -hmm. uh, and if you can sing. So yeah. a bunch of just creatives and we casted, you know, you take that singing part, you take that singing part, blah, 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 blah. We made the film and then we wanted to go, oh, we made the film, we made the pitch. Yeah. And then we wanted to apply for a grant and the grant asked, oh, you know, is it a diverse cast? And we went, oh no, crap, wouldn't even think of that. But then we look to what we made. Yeah. And it was diverse because it was representative of Mount Druid and yeah. the people that were there. And we ticked the boxes without us even yes. knowing we ticked the boxes. Yes. And I think that made me feel much better than yeah. overtly trying yes. to, you know. Um, that is exactly my thoughts on diversity. Like, that your box ticking and tokenism, like, I definitely think, like you said, the bigger level, the larger side of the industry, like, I'm all for box ticking there because, you know, those quotas do help change those mandates. Yeah, but it does. I think if you do empower the right people to tell their stories like you know a lot of more poc creatives they will make creative choices that are innate to them that don't feel that feel natural yeah and i think that is like where we're at now you yeah. know like we had the bit really big change of like box ticking a lot and yeah. now we're at the other side of that um and, and that's why it's so important to get people of color in producer roles like you said yes. behind the camera because yes. they're the ones that make the choices yeah or they yeah. can at least fight for fight for choices you know yeah like they can they yeah. can be like oh well have you thought about this like you know um yeah. or like why that might not look the best or mm. you know like it's just about different perspectives in the actual creative process yeah we have reached the end of the podcast oh no yeah that felt really quick didn't that it felt really quick that was 45 minutes i feel bad because i just talked about like one thing so. oh my gosh please no no please um what, what else what else do you have because i was going to wrap it up with one last question but Tell us the projects that you're working on right yeah. now. Yeah, okay. I have a lot going on. Um, so I'm working on... I have two shows, like two theater shows that have been mounted this year. One is called Life Cycle of Blanco, uh, which is in April. It's a one-man show. 
Oh, uh, you're the one yeah, man. I'm the one. Man. Oh, please. So. I know we were, we're talking about. Don't tell us the date because we're not sure when we're going to release yeah. this. But when is it it's, roughly going to um, be on? It's around Easter, so it's like April 17, 18. Okay. And okay. it's a one man monologue yep. on racism yep. in the industry. <laughs> please. In the creative industry. Send us the, yes, the promo material and we'll promote it. Heavily. It's crazy. I can't believe I'm doing that. But um, yeah, I'm feeling feeling brave. And then. Um, another show that's coming back is obviously so it's like a like a queer sitcom. Yes, I I didn't get the chance to see it, but I saw the prom promotion. Well, yeah, hopefully yeah. you'll get a chance this year because yep. it's coming back for two week season. Cool, um, cool. Yeah, so that's a queer sitcom that's like three episodes form live as one full length play. Yep, etc. Um, so that's my theater stuff, and then in terms of film, I am writing. Um, on a few shows, I guess you want to call it. Can like, you tell us the name? Some not my own, which is exciting. So um, in the last two months, I've written uh, on a show. Can't tell you the name, but like potentially for SBS. Which, Amazing. Which is a Filipino drama. Amazing. <laughs> which is maybe all I meant. Maybe that was already too much. <laughs> but like, I, I don't know. I doubt these... I doubt these white women will listen to this podcast. Yeah, well, like, <laughs> okay. you know, those producers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm involved in that, I want to say. And then I actually was involved in a show for BBC as well. Amazing. So did some dates there. And then I'm working on, like, I have a show called Boy Space Friends, which is a half hour comedy. Yeah. Um, which I've been developing for three years. And we're finally getting to a point where we're sending. Uh, the, the pilot script out to market and we have a pretty good in with a certain broadcaster who i can't name of course but um let's just say netflix that was a joke yes. that, was, that oh, was a joke God. that was a complete joke let's just say it they, could be stan i don't know yeah. amazon prime you it, know let's it just say be... they're yeah they're international okay. and um <laughs> Oh boy, but um, <laughs> but yeah. So that's that's also like in the pipeline, and then, um, yeah, and then we're actually seeing about the future of Hello Girls too. So wow, we had so many people like, especially a lot of, like, because we ran we we run like a you know Instagram and Facebook, and we have so many people message us and like tell us how much they love the show, and like all these people from all over the world kind of just like tuning in and and saying like they feel seen and like you know where's episode seven and like yeah. where's season two coming out like it's kind of crazy how much they demand but um <laughs> but yeah so like it has been you know we took some time uh, when it, the show came out in october so we definitely took some time to kind of like ride that wave and now we are sort of like reforming and thinking about the next steps yeah. as well so we definitely want to bring it back in some version okay yeah i have so many questions more questions to ask you but um I have to wrap it up because yeah. listeners attention i they're, know they're gonna maybe there'll be a part two eventually maybe, later maybe, down the track you know? maybe i hope i hope people got something out of this <laughs> oh 100 percent. the thing was the last question i was yes, gonna ask yes. was do you have any advice for people in the west that are getting into filmmaking but you've already answered that to an extent is there anything else that you want to say in terms of advice and or, like, or any any sort of um, piece of information i mean you know the the one thing i always come back to it's process not product mm -hmm. so like just know that you're always learning and everything you do like you know whatever happens in western sydney like try and be involved with film like okay so if there's like a short film that's shooting that's like you're not getting paid for and it's like shooting 
in some shitty place, right? Like, and, you know, try and get the experience, you know, like try and be part of that process, learn. And then like, cause that will only strengthen the process that you put in your own stuff. Like, yeah. I think I, I've actually said this a few times, um, even though I get asked this question, but like the one thing people have to remember is that making film, um, well, any creative art, but you know, say film specifically, it's a very human process. Mm. Like a writer's room is literally one or more people in a room talking about one story idea for a sustained period of time. Mm. You can do that like in your backyard or at a library or like, you know, anywhere mm. um and it's completely free to do that you know like besides managing people's time but it's the same like producing is literally um a lot of paperwork and talking to talking to councils and talking to like you know uh, operating the logistics of an actual production mm. being a director is just telling people what you want you know like these are very human skills and i think the biggest detriment the industry ever does is tell people that these skills have to be earned behind a barrier. Whereas like if you learn, if you go through the experiences and learn the skills, you can make this stuff anywhere. Oh yes. Yeah. That makes complete sense. And when you say barrier, you, are you talking about schools? No, what not, are you not about? schools. It's literally, there's like just this invisible barrier of like, it's like this mystique that the film industry has of like, this is us, you are them. And until you... And you have to earn your way in. You have to be invited into that process. Yeah. But, you know, like, I've been part of rooms now where I've been part of developments with films where I'm just like, wow, we are literally doing, like... I don't want to say it's, like, professional or unprofessional, but, like, we are literally doing things that I did, like, on Tom Girl. Do you know what I mean? And I did that shit for free. Like... I see. It's the same process and it's the same skill set. And it's cool to, for me to, like, you know, go through all these processes now and... I don't want to just say like I'm trying to give back more to the, to Western Sydney, but that's kind of like, um, you know, I'm really interested in that side too of like, how do we bring the skills that people have yeah. to here so other people can learn 100%. as well? Yeah. That, you know, so there's, we're not talking about money barriers or like class barriers or anything. It's literally just like, these skills are free like, yeah you know, like, and and you're probably learning them right now yeah with whatever you're doing right now yeah T to wrap that up the <laughs> mysticism around the film industry get rid of it and yeah. it is never too late to start no totally i mean every i think every industry has that that element that it element. definitely does so yeah. i think again if you're just focused on process and if you're just making your stuff and you have your head down and you're working hard then you will get there eventually Thank you, Vaughn. Yeah. That was very beautiful. <laughs> Gonna wrap it up. Do you want to plug your Instagram before we, we wrap this? Yes, I am at Vonpat, V-O-N-N-E-P-A-T. Okay. Um, there's only one me. I'm that on every social media thing. Awesome. So. Keep it consistent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you've just listened to another episode of The Western. I hope you enjoyed that, especially for the filmmakers in the area. Um, and we're filming at Live Shack West, which is a new spot that we're housing these podcasts once again thank you so much for listening this is eski on his first episode to let us know how i went congrats it was yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and remember to give one a follow and a like and comment okay thanks everyone bye